0: Scripture reading for today is Numbers 20, verses 2 through 13. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or for grain or figs, or vines, or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation. You and your brother Aaron and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and by which he showed his holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to him. Good morning,
1: church. Boy, those were tasty crackers. My wife and I sat back down, she's like, we've got to get some of those, not just once a month and not just one. (laughs) It's a a a profound pleasure to uh, be invited to join the preaching pool here today. And uh, I'm glad I can give the preachers here an occasional break. My wife and I are still relatively new to the church, so when Pastor John Jay said, now imagine uh, some of your enemies in the church. I couldn't come up with anyone. So just give us time. (laughs) Um, Today we're going to be talking about the dilemma of leading God's people. And as a recently retired pastor, as someone who was a lay leader in my church growing up in Sacramento, ever since I can remember, so it's not just about pastors, um, I think... Leaders of God's people are faced with a number of different dilemmas. And um, I don't want to give it away, but I, I would say what, what this is basically all about is God is ultimately the one who's leading us. And so when any of us kind of step into the void and attempt to lead the people of God in the way that God wants, a lot of times we get in the way. And so that's what the message is uh, about today. Let me give you an example of this. Um, number of years ago, when I was a much younger pastor, uh, we had a terrible uh, accident happen to one of the adult children of longtime members of our church. Uh, she and her fiancé uh, were living down in Irvine, and she had just dropped him off at the train station as he was going to the university to work on his PhD. And as she was going through an intersection with the green light, a big pickup truck ran the red light and T-boned her. And um, we found out that she was in a coma. And um, this accident happened around the time when um, John Wimber and the Vineyard Church, if, if that rings any bells for anybody, uh, was a big deal. Uh, Fuller Seminary, where I graduated from, uh, had a class on signs and wonders. Uh, all of this stuff was going on, and I was reading two of Wimber's books at the time. One was called Power Evangelism, and the other one was called Power Healing. And, you know, I didn't grow up with this tradition. I'm from an American Baptist church. We we didn't expect miracles on a regular basis, let alone, you know, to, to know the way to pray and to see the miracles happen. And so it was the kind of coming together of this terrible accident. And at the same time, I saw this as an opportunity. Like God could use me as a vessel, to wake up this woman that I've known for many years out of her coma. And so I actually wrote down the prayer that was in the book, because I want to get this right. I look back, it's almost like Harry Potter. <laughs> I wrote down the prayer, I stuck it in the back of my Bible, I drove down to Orange County, I cleared the the, the hospital room, uh, and it was just me and this young woman. And if you've ever been in that kind of room, and just tubes everywhere, and beeps, and and uh, monitors and i pulled the prayer out of my bible and i uttered it over her fully expecting her to open her eyes and wake up and she didn't so i did it again and she didn't and i did it one more time and she didn't and i walked out of that room defeated and deflated now about 3 or 4 months later she woke up on her own I look back on that and I can much more appreciate why God didn't use me to wake her out of the coma because I was trying to kind of horn in on God's glory. Like I wanted to get some credit, right, that God used me. And who knows if God would have used me and woken that woman up out of this coma, I could have started a whole other ministry, Right? I would have a television program. I, I would have, you know, people driving from all over the, you know, the, California to get the anointing oil and all, all this kind of stuff. Even Christian leaders have egos. And my experience in the many decades as a Christian leader, as a pastor, was one of the biggest dilemmas every Christian leader faces is to get out of God's way. And Especially not to try to share in the glory. Let's bow our heads. God, we pray for today. What a, what a special day to come before the communion table and to experience the gratitude welling up within us. And then giving you all the glory. May your example, Jesus, of, of how you lead. Uh, may it really illuminate our minds as we open up this passage. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when Pastor John Jay uh, invited me to preach today, he said, we're, we're finishing the whole long series on numbers, but this is a really not fun passage. So you have the, the option not to use this passage. And I take that as a challenge. And, and, and uh, so I opened this passage up again, and I was like, you know what? There's so much here, but maybe... It especially speaks to me, based on what I just started off telling you, that story, that as a leader of God's people, I have a particular kind of lens that I look at this passage. Well, let's take a look again. Um, the Israelites, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but just understand that Moses is also grieving, right? He just buried his wife. Um, when we are in grief, we're also kind of raw in our emotions, so just, just understand that. Leaders are people too. Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Now, this is not a new complaint. And if you're a leader, you know that uh, complaints tend to repeat. And uh, a lot of times it's the same people. I'll just leave it at that. But part of the human foibles of being a leader of God's people is is sometimes you can just kind of, like, shut it off. Like, you're just tired of hearing it from the same people all the time. It's the same complaints. I'm not in control of the weather. Right? Like, and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, God has raised you up at this particular time to lead God's people. And and so you still have to hear these complaints. I I feel like... This was a time when uh, Moses and Aaron kind of threw up the bat signal. They're, they're basically like, okay, you know, we've been leading these your people for so long. It's the same complaint, and we are beside ourselves. I think they went to God both feeling the pressure from the people. I think they also were feeling desperate because they couldn't control the weather. But maybe also a little bit incensed. And that's p- problematic because Christian leaders are also susceptible to getting upset. Have you ever known a Christian leader get angry? If you're a leader, have you ever gotten angry? Now, that's a particular problem for me because I grew up in a family where my parents fought and found a reason to argue every single day of my existence. Okay, My dad would walk into the kitchen and go, is there any coffee? And my mom would go, oh, so you don't know how to make coffee? I mean, it's like, gee, the answer is yes or no. Right. So I, I'll just tell you that I grew up and I learned this later in therapy. I grew up thinking that the absence of conflict is health. Like because my parents fought every day. Like when I get married, I'm never going to fight with my wife. And I and I don't think this is an exaggeration. I think in the we married in 81. So was like what? 38 years of marriage. In all the time that we've been married, we've probably had less than six big arguments. Yeah. Okay, I think that's a world record. This week? No. no, right, okay. But I'm not bragging. I'm not saying that there weren't situations where we should have argued. I'm saying that I have an aversion to conflict. Okay, and so what, what our therapists help me understand is, you know, sometimes letting someone know that you're upset is actually a form of intimacy. Like, I mean, all those Meryl Streep movies I went to with her, I like... I didn't have to go, <laughs> you know. It's like, really, that that that's an amazing thing, right? So, so even getting for for some leaders, even getting in touch with, anger, if sometimes your congregation or the people in your little pod in the church, if they never know that you're upset with them, that's not necessarily a good thing, because then they think, oh, you can do anything, you say anything, and they'll never get mad. Okay, so I think there's some of that going on here too. All right, so here we go. Verse six, then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So here's this desperation. God, like, what are we going to do? Your people are at it again. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus, you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus, you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. Hallelujah. All right. God, you came through again. You will be the one to provide this water. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly and the congregation and their livestock drank. So When you just kind of stop here and think that this is where the story ends, you think, well, that's amazing. I mean, they went to God. God gave them the power, right? They commanded the rock. The rock was all the water that the people didn't have. Problem solved. Actually, Moses and Aaron created a new problem. And it's subtle. This is what I like about this passage. It's really subtle. But if you've ever been in leadership, not necessarily just as a pastor... If you've ever been in leadership, you'll have the lens to look at this and say, no, there's something else going on here because God has a reaction and he's not happy with the leadership of Moses and Aaron. If uh, you look there in verse 11, it says Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Now, if you can remember back a couple verses, God never said strike the rock with your staff. He just said, go to the rock, command the rock, right? I will make the water come out of the rock. And Moses embellished. And I think that's always a, a human tendency. It's always a temptation to, if you're in leadership, to kind of add a little bit, a little flair, right? A little, a little personal touch. So that people clearly know it's you that God's using. right? It's like me in the hospital room. Yeah, showmanship. So... There are some scholars who look at this passage and they say, well, the reason why God got upset with Moses and Aaron is because Moses and Aaron saw an opportunity to demonstrate their anger. This gives double tap a whole new meaning. (laughs) Like I didn't tell you to double tap the rock. And it's like, oh, yeah, but isn't it better this way? Right, but maybe he did it like bam, bam. Like I'm so he called him you rebels, right? He's like, I just want you to know that when this water comes out of the rock, that it's by my mercy because I'm mad at you, right? It's like I think that's possible, but I like this other explanation better. Before we get to that, it's interesting that it's called the place of Meribah, which is the place of quarrel. Okay, that's that's the uh, meaning of the word. And anytime you're in leadership, especially. not only with, but especially with God's people. I mean, you're going to get into contention. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have disagreements. And if you're in leadership, uh, there are going to be many opportunities where people are going to question uh, how you're leading them. The decisions you're making. Whether you're really hearing from God. And the question for us in leadership is how do we really know that we're not embellishing? How do we really know that we're not doing a little freestyling? Okay, um, just, just to kind of make it all work. I think it's this. I think Moses was trying to photobomb God. <laughs> okay, if God's the big dog, okay, Moses is like that little cat that's just going to poke his head in the picture. Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Interesting, right? Subtle, but I feel like Moses and Aaron added their signature to, to this event. And I think they saw this as an opportunity. To share credit with God. One of the most difficult things. Is to let God actually do his thing. And you and I get no credit. Years and years ago. My wife and I were um, really struggling with infertility issues. And we went like seven years. Of talking to specialists and trying different things and if you've ever gone through that journey it's not fun okay and the disappointment every month when you're not pregnant and after a while it just got to the point where we just it's just like we didn't want to try anymore and there's like when you're going through infertility issues everyone around you seems to be getting pregnant right and because i'm an open kind of person uh a lot of people were praying for us. A lot of people knew. But then because I'm an open kind of person, people would come up with unsolicited advice about how to fix the problem. And there was a little old lady in our church who I dearly love. And she came up to me one time. And this is nothing I've ever had a conversation with her about before. But she comes up to me after the service, She goes, Pastor Ken? I go, yeah. Do you wear bikinis or boxers? Right? I, okay, and so kids, if you're taking notes, I think I'm funnier than Pastor John Jay. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, I I really don't feel comfortable having this conversation with you. And she's like, well, I was in the checkout line the other day and I picked up the Reader's Digest and there was an article there that said, you know, and I'm like, I'm not having this conversation. <laughs> okay, so we did it. So at year seven... We had a young deacon in the church who was going through the John Wimber training and trying to understand how to get a word from God. And she came to me in fear and trembling. And she said, I think God wants me to talk to you about something. I said, OK, I'm open. And she said, uh, OK, God told me that you and your wife are going to have a baby. I said, oh, anything more? And uh, she said, yeah, February 19th. I said, what, what, is, what does that mean? And she said, that's the day the baby's going to be born. Okay. Now, in those days, we didn't have Palm Pilots or smartphones. So I had to get out my paper calendar, and I went to February 19th, and I counted backwards nine months. And I go, well, according to science, that baby is supposed to be conceived in the next two weeks. Right? Either that or there's going to be more than one immaculate conception. <laughs> And so that that was a real dilemma for me, right? Because it's like we had already been through this emotional roller coaster and to open up that whole can of worms all over again. And yet, and unless we participate in this, it's not going to happen, right? So I said, well, thank you for sharing. I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk about it with my wife. And we, we had a deep conversation about it and we prayed about it. And we said, well, again, if, if this is God and we don't do our part, then, you know. Well, here's the thing. With that kind of prediction, you don't have to wait nine months To find out if it was true. You following me? Okay. So by four months. Three months. Four months. After she came to share with us. It's clear my wife is not pregnant. And I'm kind of waiting for this young deacon to come talk to me. Uh, But she didn't. In fact she didn't come talk to me. Until about a year and a half after she talked to us. Very long pregnancy. And she came. Kind of with her tail tucked between her legs. And she was very very apologetic. And she said. I'm so, so sorry that I said what I said. I said, well, fortunately, my wife and I have been Christians a long time. And so we have the kind of maturity of how to handle things like this. I said, um, here's a lesson, though. I said, if it was really God's will for us to get pregnant and have a baby and God really told you that, why would you have to tell us? Because wouldn't God do it anyway? The only reason why you told us is if then when God did it, then you get credit. Okay. And I said, believe me, I'm not being too harsh. I don't think because I've been in the same boat. We want to be a vessel. We want to be used. We want to be connected to what God is doing. But sometimes, oftentimes, I think God says, I know better. Verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me. To show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So this is a harsh consequence. But God's saying, you had one job. One job. That's to pull this off the way I told you, where I display my holiness and you don't get any glory. I don't take that as a small deal. In fact, he emphasizes this at the end. Uh, he says, um, "This God, by God actually preventing Moses and Aaron from going into the very promised land that they were leading the people to to get to." It's like this consequence is so God like underlines why this is important that His holiness is not to be embellished. There are holy consequences. That many times, when you're in leadership, you don't necessarily predict, but they can be unhealthy, and they can last a long time. Um, some of us have been in situations where people have led us in the name of God, and they have done a lot of damage in our lives. Nod your head if that's true for you. Okay. And I would say that many times, those who did the damage, it was unintentional, but that doesn 't mean it wasn 't real, and I think that 's why God says there are consequences that 's why any of us, whether you 're leading children in children 's ministry, whether you 're leading the whole congregation, whether you 're sitting on the deacon board, all of us have to take very seriously this this command of God not to diminish god 's holiness. Uh, there was a former pastor of Evergreen Baptist Church, where I had served for, for many years, but this was during the 70s, and I was still in high school in Northern California. He was leading the church, and it was a very small church at the time. He really got into this thing called encounter groups, where you're supposed to like spill your guts uh, in order for there to be greater intimacy in the church, and the church uh, board kind of said, you know, this is, this is getting a little weird, and so you can't do this anymore. And so he actually left the church, started a non group that attracted like the Pied Piper, scores and scores of Chinese and Japanese American young adult Christians kind of emptied the churches and they all were meeting in these campus bible studies and some amazing wonderful good things happened but in the end it became a cult and i think the problem that occurred was that this leader of god's people even though god had used him to do all these amazing and good things at some point his ego started to overshadow god's holiness And it actually got to a point where if you disagreed with the leader, with the pastor, you were disagreeing with God. Now, that sounds pretty extreme. But there are milder forms of it that happen all the time. So, one of the recent dilemmas that I faced before I retired was how do I retire from the church and yet have people not kind of... Just listen to me, but learn to listen to God. I was there for 39 years, uh, over 25 as a senior pastor. So it's, it's very easy to imagine how people would be kind of trusting me and respecting me, all, all for good things. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Part of me was tempted to somehow get much more involved so I can make sure to pick the right person. Because when you've been at some place for that long, You don't want your legacy tarnished by someone who's just going to tank it. So that's a dilemma. But what I heard from God was, you need to step way out of this process. We have bylaws that are already approved that describe a process where there's a search committee. Well, I could pick the members of the search committee. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. I was like, no, I can't do that because I believe ultimately what God wanted and how God's holiness would be experienced and how God would get all the glory was that if the leaders of the church and the members of the church knew that I did not influence this process in one way, shape or form. So I didn't pick, have any influence over that. The search committee met. I didn't even know who had applied. Okay. Um, when the search committee narrowed it down from six to three, they handed it over to the deacon board. Well, I was a senior pastor, I of the deacon board. I could have then weighed in. I recused myself. I wasn't at those meetings. Okay. And there were times, honestly, where I was thinking, maybe it'd be good. So I wrote the moderator a little email and uh, I said, hey, um, still recused, but... Um, you know, it's been a long time. You guys are taking a long time. So, if you want to invite me in for just a consultation, and uh, our moderator was a federal trial lawyer, and so he's very good with it. It's like, and he sent me back my original email, recusing myself, <laughs> right? And, and he said, um, "We got this, Pastor Ken. We believe that your original approach was right. So, no thanks. Okay." <laughs> And when the finalist was announced, like that's the first time I found out who it was. And I then, in order to still be with what God was doing, I fully affirmed this person. It happened to be a person on my staff. I didn't even know how to apply. And and I've you know, even my being here today is submitting to the whole process. They say, Well, you know, this new senior pastor, he needs time and space where you're not there. And so we went on this search, right, to find a church, and we've landed here at First Baptist. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like, one of the things that was really, really an important lesson for me that I've learned over the years is it's not intentional to make a congregation totally dependent on the pastor, but that's not healthy. And that ultimately, they need to experience God speaking to them as well. They need to experience the whole process of learning how to discern. And so so for me, in that case, I felt like I had to just get out of the picture. So that's a, that's one side of the dilemma. Let me finish with this. There's another opposite dilemma that Christian leaders are often faced. And that is, we know what God wants, but we actually are afraid to lead in that direction. Because it could be costly and painful. I want to end with this quick story. Um, before the Civil Rights Act was passed, uh, churches, especially in the Deep South, were very segregated. And, uh, there was this guy named Clarence Jordan. He wrote the Cotton Patch Bible. He was traveling around the South with his little entourage. And they came upon a little country church with a little country pastor where the congregation was completely balanced in black and white. Like un- unbelievable. Okay? So, they had to ask the pastor, how in the world, in this huge Jim Crow law, huge, you know, segregated sort of culture, do you have a church That looks like the kingdom of God. Now if you're from the south I apologize. Because I can't tell the story without a southern accent. So the pastor goes well. (laughs) When I first came to this church. I got up into the pulpit. And I said let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And Jesus died and destroyed all the walls that stand between us. And so we should be one church. So after that service, the head deacon came down and says, now, pastor, I know this is your first time in our pulpit. I'm going to tell you right now, we don't preach that message here at this church. And the pastor goes, is that in the Bible? He goes, yeah, well, I'm going to preach it. Right? Hmm. So next week, pastor gets up. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. He preached the exact same message. And the deacon came right up after the benediction got on the stage. Now, I think I, wasn't, I was pretty clear last week, but now I'll make it crystal clear. You do not preach that message in this here church. And the pastor goes, "I'm sorry. It's in the Bible. I'm going to keep preaching it." He says, "I preach that sermon every week until finally I found some people willing to obey it." I preached my church down to 10 people. But with those 10 people I could lead. I love that story because that's a different kind of dilemma. That's the fear of actually moving where God's moving. right? Doing what God wants done. We just had communion. And I think, I love this passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it says, Have the mind of Jesus. This is for all of us, but especially any of us who are leading in any capacity. Empty ourselves of our own ego needs. Of our own need to be impressive. Our own need for people to think highly of us. And just do the, do the will of the Father. Sometimes I think that's the hardest task of any Christian leader, is simply to obey the will of the Father. Now if you know how this passage goes on, it's because of what Jesus did, emptying himself into the point of death on a cross, then the Father exalted him. Like, God is the one who glorifies. We're the ones who follow God. So, I hope you appreciate little bit better today the dilemma that leaders of god's people face we're often battling within ourselves right the the different voices and i would say after many decades of being a christian leader one of the best things to do is to get out of god's way is to let god's people experience god leading them and that we just kind of facilitate it let's pray Jesus, once again, we thank you that you are this wonderful example of selfless leadership, willing to obey even when it's painful, even when it's costly, even when you have to make ultimate sacrifices. That's asking a lot from sinful, fallible human beings like all of us are. I I continue to commend Uh, the members of this church to pray for your leaders it is not an easy thing to be a servant leader and to attempt to lead God's people in a way that has integrity and honesty and moral courage and ultimately faith in God and so we need to pray for all of our leaders in whatever capacity and if you are a leader if God has placed you in a in a role where you uh, are asking people to trust God that you're walking in the direction that, that God is walking. I pray that you start and end each day at the foot of the cross. That that you just contemplate the great burden that this is. The great responsibility. As well as the great privilege. And to for us to lead in a way. Where God clearly is the one who is honored and glorified. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.